0: WARNING! WARNING, Warning, THIS IS AN EMERGENCY,
1: AN EMERGENCY, WE NEED URGENCY, WARNING, THIS IS AN EMERGENCY
2: Banatsu is a podcast series that features discussions and interviews designed to help educate the Guang community, as well as the rest of the world, about the decolonization of the island and the possibilities should it become an independent nation. Okay, Hap-a-dee. Uh we are here today with Dr. Robert Underwood, the president of the University of Guam and former Guam congressman to talk about uh, war reparations and the recent news that uh, Guam's war survivors will be receiving war reparations. Hopidi, Dr. Underwood, Hap-a-dee. thank you so much Hap-a-dee. for joining us.
0: Victoria, happy to be here.
2: So um, if you would please, uh, especially given that you have been part of this uh, very long saga that is war reparations, if you talk a little bit about um, your reactions to the news that um, war reparations will finally be, be paid to Guam's war survivors. Well,
0: well at, at one level, of course, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy because there seems to be a settlement of some kind and that uh, the people who, are, who have long waited... Uh, uh, would receive something, and uh, and uh, no matter how much it is, it's always going to be a token. So that's never uh, the the actual finance, the actual dollar amount is never as critical as the symbolic nature of the of the effort. So um, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm hopeful that it'll be resolved and that uh, uh, that there'll be some money released and that people will find contentment in that. Uh, There's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of criticisms to go around about why we're at this point and how it's funded and, uh, you know, sometimes a lot of uh, historical misunderstanding about what it was actually trying to achieve from the very beginning and why it's the U.S. government's responsibility. And so all of those elements are part of it. Yeah.
2: Well, let's kind of take that apart a little. So let's talk about the funding source. So war reparations will be funded according to the legislation, by what's called excess Section 30 funds. They Mm -hmm. took the amount of Section 30 funds garnered in 2014, which was $50 million, and said anything above that will be set aside to a claims fund. Um, And this claims fund would be, uh, you know, the the rules and regulations of this claims fund and who would be eligible for it will be determined by the U.S. uh, Foreign Claims Review Commission. Mm -hmm. And so um, what are Section 30 funds, first of all? I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't, who aren't really intimate, Involved in uh, Guam's budget mm-hmm. and finance, don't really actually know what Section 30 funds are, what they're used for, and why we receive them.
0: Well, Section 30 funds are funds that are covered over from income taxes that are paid, uh, the original purpose was paid by uh, people who are assigned to Guam by the federal government. So if you're assigned to Guam by the federal government, uh, normally, the income taxes that are collected from you are are taken back to uh, the uh, treasury. Uh, the IRS, and then the IRS pays, you know, deals with your taxes. But in Guam's case, and it's the only U.S. jurisdiction that's allowed this, in Guam's case, uh, those are covered over, in other words, transferred over to the government of Guam as tax revenue for the government of Guam. In a way, it's supposed to compensate for uh, the presence of the military and the federal government here. So that's basically the funding source for that. Uh, We expanded it a little bit in Washington, D.C. when I was there to include, uh, uh, people from Guam who are in the military mm-hmm. and who are who had their uh, uh, home of record as Guam to cover over their taxes back to the government of Guam. So that was a little bit, it bumped it up a little bit of, of money. And then uh, recently, as I understand it, they're trying to deal with people who are here TD-wide because... Uh, they're here for a limited part of time, for a year, maybe less than a year. So maybe a percentage of their tax returns, so that that would come to the government of Guam coffers. So it's it's revenue for the government of Guam. That's basically the
2: And it's that. revenue that would have come to Guam no matter what. So essentially, it's revenue that that is the government of Guam's. And yeah, not so the according to government. the
0: Organic Act, and and if, and in this legislation, as I in this uh, um, uh, war claims. Uh, payment, as I understand it, they use the term access i don 't know whether i I thought it was seventy but it may be fifty, but whatever it is it's, it 's it was framed as if you know, the uh, government of Guam got a big bump up because of the military buildup that that money would go to this uh, uh,
2: claims fund. But the reality is at the end of the fiscal year, the government of Guam does not break even, and the excess Section 30 funds that were not accounted for at the beginning of the year still goes to government operations or pays tax Sure, sure. Yeah, it's always part of the... money that we actually need. It's part
0: of the calculation, yes.
2: And, you know, another thing that is interesting for me kind of paying attention is that in order to get more Section 30 funds, you welcome more military, and mm-hmm. also in the NDA are amendments that you know welcome drones, spy drones that are mm-hmm. very invasive to our neighbors and make Guam a bigger threat. There um, is legislation to do a lot of military construction on the island, and so it's kind of ironic that you kind of put yourself at risk of a future war in order to pay off the past war. Really, well, to make these claims, you would have to well, welcome Well, yeah, more yeah,
0: but I mean, you have to you have to tease out all those issues because the, the reality is that the people who are expecting the war claims really don't care what the source is. They just don't. I mean, the, the reality is that this is a long-standing grievance. So if the source—I think the way I tried to put it is it's awkward. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I said originally. Of course, in a sense, we're, we're, we're paying ourselves, uh, because that money would normally go to the government of Guam for other operational costs, as the government of Guam sees fit. Uh, but you know in in reality it uh, it's uh, uh in in Congress just so since the nineties where the, the Congress is on a pay as you go system you cannot suggest uh a new uh funding for anything unless you pay for it and you create an offset. That's the reality. So you cannot just, you can't sit in Congress and say, gee, I think we ought to spend a billion dollars on this and then convince everybody that it's a good idea. You have to, in addition to that, identify where this billion dollars is going to come from and either pay it as you go or you offset it. You have to cut somewhere a billion dollars. That's the whole system of how the government the Federal government works it 's been that way now for you know fifteen, twenty years, so gone are the days where you can just add on an additional uh, element to it unless it 's some huge uh, deal between uh, the leaders of Congress and and the president. you know, so what they suspended from pay as you go or offsets was spending for the Iraq the war in Iraq, for example, mm-hmm. but beyond that, any other kind of form of spending that you see done in, uh, in, in the federal government is done on the basis of an offset. So every time you suggest some kind of funding, you have to cut somewhere else or you have to mm-hmm. suggest uh, and so that's, those are all the kind of arrangements that people go through.
2: But given that it, it really is a symbolic gesture right, the payment of war reparations and it's something that you would assume that the country who is obliged to pay it, in this case the Well, United I'm, States I'm, I, pay I, I understand
0: yeah. that, but I'm just explaining to the you. The way Congress. I'm works. explaining to people so that they understand the reality of it. Yes. I mean, the feeling that you've been aggrieved and that you therefore. Uh, need to be compensated is clear. Mm-hmm. But the, 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 the quandary that any individual member of Congress is put on is they have to identify an offset. Mm-hmm. That's the quandary. Maybe there are other offsets. I don't know. Maybe there, there's what? another offset that, that could have been identified. Mm-hmm. But in this instance, that was the uh, offset.
2: Another interesting uh, element to the amendment is it includes $5 million that would go to the Department of Interior to administer grants for the research and writing about the occupation during World War II of Guam. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of money, actually. And in that case, it wasn't very clear whether that money would also be coming from the Section 30 funds. Um, It's in the same amendment, so I'm making the assumption, but there actually isn't a funding source identified. but it, when you compare it, especially since this is for the Independence Task Force, when you compare it to the 300000 we were given yeah. for political status education, $5 million is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at the two issues, and I, I believe that a lot has actually been documented. And, you know, every year we learn about the occupation of Guam. It's probably one of our most revisited moments in history, in contemporary history, right? And so on the one hand, I think it is, it is important that we... Um, we put money towards research. Well, and the development I, I of
0: suspect that that's not that wasn't an offsetted amount. So I don't suspect yeah. we ever see the five million dollars. But any it's event. an
2: interesting commitment, right? When you well, know. I don't.
0: I, I you know I, yes. I I didn't know about that. But you know, there's always been. Um, Uh, There's always been different provisions and you'd have to, you know, it would be an incredible historical study to just see all the different permutations (laughs) that war claims, war restitution, war reparations, and uh, the War Claims Commission, all this legislation that has, see, the only legislation that has ever passed as a standalone to the Guam War Claims, was the creation of the War Claims Commission, mm -hmm. which was supposed to validate these claims, see. And it's supposed to validate historically uh, just sequentially so people understand it. Immediately after World War II, there was a Guam War Claims Act that was uh, instituted for Guam. Of course, that had a limited time frame. And people didn 't really uh, know much about it, and people were uh, although people, a lot of people knew about it and, and people submitted claims, so people did get claims, but most of that war claims was seen as uh, not so much for uh, pain and suffering and but it was seen as for injury and death and uh, dismemberment and uh, uh, damage for uh, you know crops or or uh you know physical damage like Mm -hmm. that so that was that time frame so then the uh the united states either in the peace treaty i think it's 1951 or 52 the united states inherited the responsibility of war claims over anybody that was a U.S. national or U.S. citizen. So they inherited that responsibility. They took it away uh, from Japan. And so that was part of a, you know, uh, it's a long historical argument, but war reparations was handled differently after World War I, which then led to World War II. Mm-hmm. And so as a consequence, the world powers said, no, we're going to handle it differently. So the thinking was that at that time was that the U.S. would pay uh, any aggrieved citizen or national from a war claims fund that was based or built on on uh, assets, Japanese assets that were frozen, mm-hmm. that, that the United States held, and that was the, the institution of that fund. That's a common thing that was happened in Germany and other parts of the world, and so people who were aggrieved by those countries, so they would go to their own country to get paid. When uh, then I believe it was either 1971 or 72, the U.S. government passed a general war claims uh, act mm-hmm. for all its citizens who who experienced something under uh, under foreign enemies. Guam was not included in that. Mm. See, so but other U.S. citizens and nationals were so as a consequence of that there was the disparate treatment now why wasn't guam i i I may have gotten it it may have been in the early 60s but why wasn't guam included in that was uh well I, i don't know guam had no representation people weren't paying that much attention to it but later on when it became clear so then, the War Claims Commission was supposed to say, "Had Guam been included in that, how would they have been treated?" See, mm. that was so. The, the irony is that there are people from Guam who were received claims under that later act, mm-hmm. but the people from Guam who received claims under that later act weren't in Guam; they were in the Philippines or somewhere else oh. because they were covered by that act. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that, that led to the disparate treatment. So that essentially was the uh, uh, trying to resolve that issue. But in Guam, it was never seen that way. Mm-hmm. In Guam, it was just seen as a separate, standalone issue that this is what happened to us, and so we should be paid this amount and we should be uh, paid adjusted this amount and so on and people never really understood the connection to how the u.s government pays off people as a result of the war experience Mm -hmm. so every time people were asked about the war claims they framed it in terms of their own personal experience which of course is expected Mm -hmm. and and it would be because it was a tragic experience for many many people Okay, so so uh, you know, I, I believe uh, uh, this issue has, of course, um, was generated locally uh, initially by Senator uh, Cecilia Bamba, who started a petition uh, on that, and you know, uh, her own her own her own father was uh, executed uh, during the uh, uh, Japanese occupation. So those uh, a lot of people signed up for that petition. Again, without kind of understanding the context for it, you know, mm-hmm. like first of all, you're gonna this is money's gonna have to be paid by the federal government, and it's not legislation. But a lot of people assume, well, oh, I signed up for it, you know, when am I gonna get my money and all that? So yeah, there's a little bit of miseducation on that, but. In any event, it, it moved forward. When I, when I came into office, I tried uh, direct legislation a couple of times, didn't go very far, and then I realized I had to overcome this notion of how did the U.S. inherit it, and I did that as well. And then we, we settled on the War Claims Commission to kind of validate the, the disparate treatment that the people from Guam had from other U.S. nationals and citizens, they, inherit, they took in testimony, they validated that, and then they submitted the claim. And we, I thought at the time that that would be sufficient uh, cause to then uh, use the uh, foreign claims uh, funds because that's, that's where they normally uh, go. That's the, the combination of all the money they take from other countries, mm-hmm. and that's, that's where the funding would come from. But for whatever reason, it, it was uh, insufficient or they didn't want to do it, I don't know. I I don't know, maybe that's the place to go. But in any event, uh, now we're at the stage where now they've identified uh, the offset, and the offset is Section 30. So, the irony so. is that we're
2: giving 5% back to the Foreign <laughs> well, Claims well, yeah, Commission. Instead of them paying it, we're paying them to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, somebody has to process the checks, you know, and so, <laughs> I, you know, and somebody has to validate that, there has to be legal fees, there has to be something, otherwise uh, people submit all kinds of claims.
2: And there uh, really won't be that many claims when you think about what qualifies. Well, so you have I, I, mem- I
0: have no idea. Yeah. yeah you know we we we, we you know we the, the 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 reality is is that this has to be preceded with a lot of uh, uh, education otherwise mm-hmm. people will assume that they are covered and maybe they're not covered uh they'll assume all kinds of things but in any event uh it is a path forward and so uh, for many people particularly those who are uh, who are survivors of those who actually were killed during the occupation? I think that 's the the primary uh, list of people that will probably be claimed pretty easily. Then the actual survivors, people who were lived through the occupation that 'll be pretty easy to document mm-hmm. so it doesn't it wouldn 't seem that hard, but then yeah, there are, but then you know there are always uh legal impediments, yeah. and then there 's always. In the
2: in the law it says only um, if if the spouse is still alive of someone who was killed in the war, then the spouse would qualify. If the spouse is dead, then the children. Right. If there is no spouse or children, then the parents. And the reality is that it's been, yeah. you know, seventy-five seven, seven, years. Eight. So in many cases, those descendants may not be alive anymore either. And then for living survivors, their descendants do not qualify to make claims. And the living survivors themselves will have exactly one year from the foreign from when the foreign claims were review commissions releases the process for filing claims mm-hmm. to file claims but they will have to physically go in file the claims they will have to have certain kinds of documentation mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in order to file claims so it, it could end up being similar to right after the war where there were various reasons people trying to rebuild their lives put their lives back together weren't able to file claims in this case we're looking at a group of people that are eighty in their 80s or older that may have dementia that may be bedridden and so these are all Things that I hope are being considered because, right now, as it's written, you know that would make it very inconvenient for them to go file claims. Well, as well. I, or I, even I, I to hope
0: all them. of that is taken into consideration. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be some kind of uh, a resolution of those issues because mm-hmm. I think basically it's pretty. I don't know. You know uh, the you know sometimes l- laws are written certain ways in order to insulate it but in actual practice it's,
2: it doesn't work it
0: does it, it 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 actually is easier than it looks mm-hmm. because in this instance the people who are who who will get claims for uh, force march are in forced labor are basically everybody yeah and, and then the people who were injured well they have to document their injuries that's mm-hmm. a different category and then uh, then the people who passed away who were who are were, who were died who died or were executed so that's a little bit uh, um a little bit trickier because you know uh and that then so my own mother Uh, My own mother, my parents, had two children, two infants during the war that died. And so, you know, one was born just before the—in 1944, one was born the year before. So they they died uh, during the uh, 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 occupation, and so uh, her—her— uh, concern about that was always framed to me as yeah I remember she remembers obviously the time period after the war when the war claims, and she said and, and, the, uh, and military officers came to her house and asked her to fill out the forms and she said no I'm not going to fill them because it's not going to bring my children back mm-hmm. and whose responsibility is it Mm-hmm. You know, is it my responsibility? Maybe I was an inadequate mother. Is it the Japanese government's responsibility? Or was it the American government's responsibility? And I'm not going to submit a claim just to get money so I can go buy a car.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that was her attitude. Now, of course, she had a very different attitude than a, a lot of people. So, uh, But she carried that same kind of... Uh, feisty uh, moralistic attitude throughout her whole life and even in the time when I was in Congress she uh, gave me lots of uh, criticism about uh, what I was doing. But I respected that. But I also respect of course the experience of other people and, and I fully understand uh, for those people who you know who who and most of them have passed away but those those people who actually endured the hardship of you know being involved in uh, in, uh, in 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 Faha or Tinta or Fena and who survived and uh, you know who don't but uh, in that context mm-hmm. uh, as 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 uh, you know children you know
1: mm-hmm. maybe
0: seven or eight years old and then they went through that experience that was pretty tragic mm-hmm. um but uh, you know there's all kinds of uh, permutations to this i think that uh, at the end of the day what we had what i had hoped what what was in the original thinking on the legislation was that giving it to uh, descendants was always going to be a challenge. Even when it went back 20 years, the idea of giving it to descendants was was always going to be a challenge. Uh-huh. So one of the solutions that we had for the descendants was instead of giving it money to the descendants, to give it to a trust fund. Uh-huh. And that trust fund would be to uh, provide you know, college loans or whatever to, uh, to the descendants, mm-hmm. so it wouldn't be a cash payment. Had that happened. That's also the kind of fund that the Japanese government would have been willing to indirectly give to because they will give to those kinds of funds through their own nonprofit networks mm-hmm. inside Japan mm-hmm. because the Japanese government is never going to acknowledge responsibility, and so the Japanese government is never going to give money directly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: See, so. Well,
2: and if we look at, so say, for example, this five million dollar um appropriation or it's not really appropriate. I don't know what you would call it, but this additional Author- authorization. authorization. Okay, this five million dollar authorization which means if no it money functioned in, it. in that way, if it were to come to UOG, for example, to provide scholarships for people to research I, I would think opening it up or we could creatively look at, okay, not just looking at the occupation, but also the way in which this war has really shaped the the path Guam took after. So the occupation not only had the, phys- you know, people not only went through the physical trauma of the war and the experience of the war, but the residue that's really sort of made our community much more colonized, I believe, than if the war hadn't. Well, had that's any an interpretation. That it is an interpretation. An, is, is an, but uh, no, but, but I it's get real, it. But uh, no, 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 no. But I
0: mean, I'm, what I'm saying, I, I see what you're getting at. But what I'm saying is that, the in order to To keep, uh, in in keeping with the original spirit of reparations, which is an attempt to make whole, Mm -hmm. you know, what you cannot make whole. Mm -hmm. You can never make it whole. No one's ever going to find contentment and peace. Mm -hmm. Every gesture is by its very nature symbolic. Mm -hmm. So what would have been an appropriate measure at the time you see that was the issue so for some people it's like well we'll spend money and we'll build a monument that'll make them happy or we'll spend money and we'll study it that'll Mm -hmm. make them happy or we'll just hand out checks Mm -hmm. that'll make them happy well even if you did all of that there's still going to be people who are going to be Unhappy. <laughs> exactly. so it doesn't. Think, so 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 obviously we ha- everyone has competing views about it, but the rea- the base for this is the the disparate treatment. So trying to make that treatment whole, and then trying to deal with the issue of how do you deal with people who have passed away. Mm-hmm. That's it. See. So in the intervening years, maybe there's. 12 or 13,000 people who, under the circumstances of this, would have been entitled to payments of either I don't know what they are they are now 5,000 and 10,000 or yeah. something like that. If that money, that cumulative money, would go into a trust fund, what would be the purpose of that trust fund mm-hmm. in order to uh, give a feeling of peace and contentment? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for the community as a result of that. I think that's a valid argument. Some people will argue, well, let's let's study the war more. Let's study the experiences. Let's study the aftermath of the war. Mm-hmm. What did this lead to? How did How did it shape our reality? How did it shape our thinking? All of those things are all kind of uh, live parts of it and all of it mm-hmm. could be. Um, uh, and will that. Uh, and then some people say, ah, oh, it's just a bunch of intellectuals who are going to sit down and write a book. And what? When I'm supposed to read it and be happy about it? No, I'm not happy, you know? Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's really trying to uh, find that. But we have two issues in front of us that are really clear. One is the funding source.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. How are we going to explain that funding source?
2: Would that and, have ever uh, been it. a funding source you considered when you were there?
0: Well, I didn't consider it, but you know, but I thought it was the foreign claims Act. because mm-hmm. I knew that the pay-as-you-go and uh, and uh, and the uh, 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 trying to f- trying to find a uh, uh, now I lost the term they use for it, trying trying to find a set aside or uh, uh, money to compensate for it from some other source uh kind of thought that it would end up being the foreign claims uh, fund mm-hmm. so we thought that would be but i don't know what the state of the foreign claims fund for all i know a bunch of american citizens who got hurt in the iraqi war have claimed it all or mm-hmm. well, we don't know uh, yeah. you know because that's where those claims go a lot of uh, us citizens who lost their businesses in the vietnam war go to the foreign claims fund so there's all these kinds of claims on it and that was Traditionally, historically, uh, the fund that you you went to. Now, uh, in order uh, to—so that was one issue. The other issue is what do you do with the funds, with any additional—do you set up a fund, really, for— those who would have received it but have since passed on. Mm-hmm. And how do you—see, my, my view on that is that kind of a fund could have found a way to entice um, money that people could put into it. So the Japanese uh, gov- a Japanese nonprofit agency associated with the government could mm-hmm. have found a way to put some money into it.
2: At this point, is it too late for pushing for something like that? Like I, I
0: don't know. I, I, I think so th- it's th-
2: definitely not accounted for in the legislation. No, well.
0: I, I, I I think that's a kind of a, a, an interesting notion,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: you know, for now it's just a notion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but uh, but of course the reality is is that you have uh, identified funds. Uh, it's awkward. It's inelegant, and it looks like we're just paying ourselves. And then the second part is to make sure that that's handled in a kind of a timely manner.
2: How does that make you feel, like sort of the resolution to this Well, it, you know, I
0: mean, it, it, uh, I'm, I'm happy for the, the people that are going to find peace and contentment with that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy for them. Uh, but in the, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't feel that good. And then in the grander scheme of things, uh, you know, it's... It, 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 it doesn't, you know, I, I have all kinds of competing views in my mind about uh, war claims. So, mm-hmm. you know, I worked, I worked with war claims issues for a long time. So just listening to it and I'm trying to understand that, you know, I have uh, uh, three, three siblings left that are probably eligible for war mm-hmm. claims. One just passed away this year and another one passed away uh, two years ago. Mm. Okay, of course my parents are long gone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for the remaining three, um, I don't know. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. You know, yeah, one just they has they a kind of a, one of them. Uh, I, I'm, I'm ineligible. One, of, mm-hmm. one has a, just kind of a vague memory of the war. Yeah. The other one has a. The oldest one has a very refined memory of the war.
2: Mm. Um, you know, with um, the interviews that were being done around this, I believe it was it was either Matt Herman or John Witt, um, the Chief of Staff and former chief of Staff of Congressman Berdalia when being interviewed, had brought up the notion that well, for now it can be section thirty funds, but say Guam goes through the self determination process and part of that process makes Guam independent or Guam has a different relationship with the U.S. and the U.S. would still have the obligation to the war claims because this legislation passed and would have to find a separate funding source because, you know, if Guam's government changes, we would probably and we maintain a mili- you know, the military bases, we would find another mechanism of capturing those taxes, that kind of thing. So of course for, for us with independence, that was an interesting notion. It was also interesting because you know, that they spoke to this because um, which is exciting. It means that, that now people are feeling that when they talk about major issues they need to speak to self-determination in ways that they really didn't before. Um, and so what do you think of that notion that so if Guam were one, if Guam were independent, how would this be different?
0: Well, if Guam were independent, then everything would be negotiable. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the issue. So, you know, but it's just like that thing you read in the uh, in-flight magazine. In business, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you yes. negotiate.
2: Yes, exactly. And I mean, I that, you know, that's...
0: <coughs> Excuse me.
2: One of the most exciting ideas about independence is the ability to negotiate with actual power right, to the, be, the ability to do more than this sort of comment on something, but actually say, okay, this is what we want. Let's work together and see how we can get what we want and you can get what you want. But in this case, it's kind of like we have to keep keep going back and giving up more, giving up more, giving up more. And so we end up with something that really isn't what we're asking for. Because, I mean, what, what group of people would agree to pay for their own restitution for something that was not their fault? And so that's, to me, one of what is insulting is the idea that would any independent nation in the world say, okay, we'll go ahead and pay our people for the suffering they experienced in a war that we'd had nothing to do with starting, you know? And so that's, that's how we've become interested in this topic as an independence task force. Yeah,
0: well, I, I, I can understand the logic of that. But, you know, contextually, you go back to the notion of Guam is the only one that has Section 30 fundings in the whole country. hmm you know, under the U.S. flag, why is it allowed to do that? That's a very special kind of fund, and so for years, the government of Guam just treated it as a kind of a bonus fund. They got it at the end of the year, and then in the past maybe twenty, thirty years, they treated it as part of their, you know, cash flow uh, system. So, mm-hmm. but in reality, that can be changed by Congress too. Cong- can. Congress can change that. So the greater, the, greater, the, the greater issue is, of course, you can negotiate things differently as an independent nation, but you have to figure out what you, ha- what you put on the table. What is the value that you have that the other party's interested in? Mm-hmm. And that's what you're—and are you willing to put that at risk? That's always the question. Mm-hmm. So when I say that uh, in business, you get what you negot- You get you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. I don't mean that to be cute. I mean that's the reality. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Guam and the people of Guam may feel they deserve all kinds of things, and they may feel totally aggrieved. And the feeling of being aggrieved is in a way refreshing and invigorating. But at the end of the day, to resolve that grievance, if you really want to negotiate it out, what do you think you're going to get Mm -hmm. for a a grievance that's now looking like it's 75 years old? Mm -hmm. And And so that's that's an interesting experience you
2: have because, as, as Guam's non voting representative in Congress, what was the negotiation process like on any issue in terms of being a non voting representative, being from an unincorporated territory? How did, how, how did that go?
0: Well, that's a different issue because that's almost everything, you know. In, in that context, you know, I'm writing a book on that. But, but the issue is really not quite as you've asked the question. You're negotiating as a non-voting delegate. I wasn't negotiating as a non-voting delegate. I was participating in a process in which there were 440 people Mm -hmm. Trying to get my voice through that. That's what I was trying to do. Was I successful compared to the other 440? I would say I was doing damn good. Now, some people say, was I, was I successful compared to Nancy Pelosi? Of course not, <laughs> you know, because that's a different, old, a different set of criteria.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But if you just compared me to the average member of Congress and what I was able to do for my constituency and how I was able to affect national policy, I would say I was, I was pretty good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that's not what people want to hear.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What people want to hear was, how hard is it to pass legislation? Did you trade your vote, you know, and all that? Well, I had no vote to trade. But I'm not sure trading votes is what they do, you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess the easiest way to portray it is, I just tell people, it's like trying to pass legislation with one hand tied behind your back. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was moderately successful. And I, 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 I take pride in that effort. But had I been a voting member, would it have been... A, markedly different. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. But the way Guam is seen in Congress is that people have to understand that most people vote for people to represent them at the federal government on the basis of taxes and Mm -hmm. benefits. Most people see the territories as people who pay no taxes, but all they do is secure benefits. And so that's, that's, that was the toughest framework to mm-hmm. deal against. It wasn't the fact that I had no vote. It's that how can a constituency that pays nothing into the federal treasury continue to draw from it and then ask for more continually when every other constituency has to put into the treasury in order to ask money to come out? Mm-hmm. And remember that most people are voting for people to represent them on the basis of how they collect taxes and how they spend
1: mm-hmm. the taxes.
0: That's, that was a very hard uh, lesson to learn. Mm-hmm. So normally we give arguments, the territories give arguments like, you know, we don't pay a, a dollar tax, we pay a blood tax.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We fight and die in the wars. That was the common argument that almost every territory uses.
2: And our lands that have been taken,
0: and yeah. But then, but that, but that's what all the states say. Yeah. Well, what happens to us too? Mm-hmm. We go and we fight in wars, and we and we pay taxes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: See, so the, the the tax issue is a serious issue.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We can't discount that. We just can't glibly just ignore that. And then when you talk about Section Thirty, that's an additional tax revenue that. Uh, uh, no other jurisdiction gets. I'll give you a, a jurisdiction that gets a lot of money on a program called Payment in lieu of Taxes, PILT, the District of Columbia. Mm-hmm. So the District of Columbia has all these federal buildings. So the federal government has to pay the District of Columbia the property taxes and an assessed valuation of what that land would mean mm-hmm. were it put on a commercial property. So that's the biggest source of revenue for the District of Columbia. Well, and
2: if we did that for Guam, would it amount to more than Section 30?
0: It may, but it's it's, it's viable for everything except Department of Defense.
2: Then that would not make any sense. It
0: won't make it because.
2: But if we were the, the, like, like in for a example, staffer, could that be? something Well, it, you it goes back
0: to what you negotiate. Yeah. And so negotiation has a bunch of risks. The the, the the notion behind independence is that you trust your ability to negotiate, and you think you're of such value, you're of such significance that you can make it work.
2: Mm-hmm. But see, this is why we really need people that can negotiate that whatever our island chooses in a plebiscite is something that somebody will be pushing for aggressively in Congress and you know that's something I've been struggling with is who will that person be you know and it's, it's equally as important as the vote is who's going to actually push for the results and you know right now a lot of the conversation is still being had at a very surface level and that's why, you know, pushing for a plebiscite as the government. No, it's won-
0: it's it's had at a transactional level. And that is you give something, you get something. So mm-hmm. how much are we getting, how much are we giving? That's the transactional level. Mm-hmm. It's never a, It's never at a transformational level.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How
0: will we change that system? Yeah. You're looking for a transformer, and you're getting transactors. And that's, how, yeah. that's the reality. Well,
2: and that's why when you were talking about the way things work for Guam in Congress, I ask those questions because so much of what main, continues to be the conversations we're having in the community is that most people are like, well, we're just happy the way things are. And why isn't status quo an option? So that's where we're still at that same place that yeah. you were at decades ago in terms of this conversation. So, it hasn't evolved. The conversation right. hasn't so elevated how, in time. so
0: So you have to find a way to break that.
2: Well, then that's why I'm saying how much do people understand about, the way Guam is treated outside of Guam, the way the United States views Not Guam, much. that's something you have intimate knowledge about. Yeah,
0: and then. I talk about it all the time. Yeah. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that people on Guam talk to themselves, and they whip themselves into a frenzy about an issue, but they have no understanding of how others see that issue, because they don't want to hear it.
2: Yeah. Well, I want to hear from you. What do you think about what are the limitations of status quo, and what would be?
0: Well, that's, a, that's 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 for interview? a different pro, a okay. different interview because that's to go on. Can we schedule that? As- sure. Okay. Sure. So we will we will
2: have a part two. <laughs> right. <you>. Okay. Very <laughs> good. With President Underwood, thank you so much for Thanks. your time.
0: Finatsu is created by the Media Committee of Independent Guahan. Independent Guahan's mission is to empower the Chamorro people to reclaim their sovereignty as a nation. Inspired by the strength of their ancestors and with the love for future generations, they seek to educate and unify all who call Guam home in order to build a sustainable and prosperous independent future. Feedback and questions can be sent to independentguahan at gmail.com, all one word. For more information, head to www.independentguahan.com
2: or look for us on Facebook and Instagram. I hine independent guahan. paraba i na whanmataknga i mantamoru, paratatuli takti di retota komo
1: unashon ki hilo tano. Gini gut niha i mañanata, jadi gwinai zata nui motna. Ina keke whan manungo, jani keke tōdu i siha
2: ni manyasaga ki inina tano. Paratatat letwhet na ija Guahan ni todo i nina kosiki kousikisi nga ta whanla motna. Whanatsu, hita lakmon.